0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HitrustAlliance.net. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com.
1: And you are very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine. And uh, I often wonder how organizations figure out what Technologies to acquire and which ones fit in? Uh, are they replacement? Are there overlaps? Uh, are they features or, or products or solutions? And uh, how, how does anybody make money? How do investors get a return? This is a, this is a big, big topic. Uh, a lot going on in the cybersecurity industry. And uh, there's no one better, from my perspective, to give us some insight into what that is, who that is. Richard Steenan, It's good to have you on the show. (laughs) Awesome to be here. So obviously, I gave folks a a, a little preview of some of the things we might talk about. I mean, there's so much there, so much going on, so much coming, I would suspect that uh, we're we're not going to get to it all today, Richard. But uh, we'll do our best to to highlight some of the key things now, and, and we'll see where the conversation goes. And who knows, maybe folks can point us in a direction where to, where to go on a, on a following episode. But um, before we get into it, a few words for the, the few that haven't met you yet, Richard. What, what have you been up to? Uh, what's going on?
2: Yeah, so if you haven't met me, just know that I'm an industry analyst. That means that, you know, not only am I fascinated by security, but I'm fascinated by the vendors, the founders, the startups, the investors. Uh, in this space and and what's driving the space, what are some of the fundamentals, underliers? Why is security different from every other space? And, you know, it takes a while to realize that, oh, it's because it has outside drivers. So the the world of cybersecurity is unlike uh, disk drives, right, which just have industry drivers, right? It's disk drives and storage of any sort is all uh about denser and denser storage at lower and lower cost and same with compute for AWS it's just get it cheaper and cheaper in the security world we play in a world that's got uh, threat actors that continuously pump up the market because they're trying to work around the existing technology and come up with with new ways to attack enterprises and consumers um and then the vendors, you know, come out of the woodwork to address the problem. Sometimes the existing ones can do a quick uh, change and address it right away. Um, or a brand new field of vendors come, come up and get financed to address the new problem. And that's a, a never-ending cycle. You know, I like to say, you know, the industry's not going away. It won't consolidate to a few big vendors until the threat actors go home. And that's not, not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, certainly
1: don't certainly don't see that happening, and I can't imagine we see the the other extremely, I'll say, volatile variable, which is innovation, right? So right. a lot of the things right. we talked about drives make storage cheaper and possible, cloud compute yep. makes uh, yep. compute in the cloud and and other things possible, and all that changes how things connect and work Completely. and the exposure increases. And
2: so. Yeah, that's why hence now we have a, a complete IOT security industry, right? 107 vendors, right. all stratified into the classic endpoint network identity, all the same mirrors of the entire industry, but now applied to uh, pretty hard to manage devices. Yeah. Which
1: in and of itself, that's, that's fascinating. And I'm going to touch on that, that word fascination. Because I'm, I'm wondering, and I know you so I have some insight into how you think, but not a lot, but some. But what what's the? Is it because of your fascination for this space that you wrote the book that we're going to talk about today, or is there some other objective or outcome that you're you're hoping for with the work that you've done there?
2: Um, I think you know, as a lot of people get older, they like to. Um, certainly like to pontificate and that's in my brain now that i'm an industry analyst which i have been for 22 years um and but if you talk to your grandfather or whatever they just love to tell stories and and writing a book is a great way to get that out in paper organize your thoughts so i i love writing books long-form stories and the idea for this book though came, I was, at a, I was at RSA in 2019, signing books in a booth. I had just written a book on secure cloud transformation. And I just was overcome with this feeling that, wow, this is so great. Hundreds of people come in line to get a book that I wrote. Uh, I want to have a book next year. What should it be? And then I was walking around the, the booths and I, I met several startups They'd tell me what they do, and I could say, oh, like so-and-so from 2003. And they'd go, who's that? Like, so they didn't even know the startups had done the exact same thing and either succeeded or failed that uh, had come 20 years before them. And so then I realized, well, the book's going to be a history of the IT security industry. So that was kind of the genesis of it, all in one day. I need a book. What should it be? Oh, my God, these people really... Don't understand what went before, so I need to do what I can to teach them.
1: And I love it. And I've I've been in the space uh, quite a while, so I probably know many of the players that you you include in the book. Oh yeah. Um, so that they the, it'd be a walk down memory lane for someone like me.
2: Sure it uh, would. Somebody's
1: yeah. in, in, in this path. But how important in your in your mind is it to have a view of the history? of this market as we press forward doing new things?
2: Oh, absolutely important, right? You have to build that experience. You, I mean, the one thing about getting, if you get into security, um, I've always said, you know, by the time your security is growing so fast, by the time you've been in it for a year, you know, you're already... Uh, more experience in security than 25% of the people that are in security, right? Because there's so many people coming on board all the time. Um, So you can gain expertise and maturity in the field quickly. But unless you understand how we got to where we are, um, first of all, you're not going to be able to talk to the old guys because they'll, when you're talking about identities, they'll start talking to you about RACF and ACF2. Um, when you start talking about digital certificates, they'll say, oh, you mean like VeriSign? And you go, I've never heard of them because, of course, they're not selling certificates anymore. But you have to know the origin of those businesses. Or, you know, you might not think of Checkpoint Software as the pioneer that the three founders, Gil, Marius, and Shlomo were. Um, they, they, they literally invented the gateway Stateful Inspection Firewall that practically every firewall is nowadays. Um, They patented it. For some reason, never enforced the patent. But not only that, but they invented the security channel. They had to go out and meet with every ISP in the United States and sign them up to resell Checkpoint firewalls. And that's the same channel that exists today. It's a channel that everybody, every vendor wants to plug into. Checkpoint can protect the channel from new vendors as they did with Palo Alto or tried to do. Um, But Palo Alto, of course, was founded by Nir Zook, who knew exactly how Checkpoint worked. So he went to market with a application identifying gateway thing that sat behind your firewall. And it was it was a Trojan horseplay. And Checkpoint didn't stop him from using their channel. And he got totally deployed through the channel and then just displace all the checkpoint firewalls that where he was deployed. It was it was a brilliant, brilliant move. Two things.
1: I'll, I'll stick with this one first. So, just this idea you, you mentioned one of the founder, uh, one of the folks who know the space, move on and do something new. Do, do you see a lot of that still? Where uh, either companies succeed, they they uh, will typically get acquired, and then the, those founders move on and create something else. Yep. I'm sure you see a lot of that, but. Do you see it in in directly competitive ways a lot, or tangentially competitive ways, or do you see folks kind of going anywhere and everywhere, and they just leverage their
2: their? Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, you see both. Um, you know, if you're what what I see happening so often, and Mirzuk's a great example, right? Because um, he actually started one of the first IPS solutions uh, after he left left Checkpoint. And that IPS solution got acquired by Netscreen, and and then some Gartner analyst, me, um, made Netscreen the only leader in the magic quadrant because they had IPS, which is where I want wanted to see the firewall market go. Um, and then eventually, got fed up with Netscreen, and he left to create Palo Alto Networks. And there was a big lawsuit. Uh, Netscreen um, owned owned by Juniper Networks, Sudom. Um, they eventually settled. We don't know what the settlement was. Uh, but that was an exact case of, I'm just going to do it again, but this time it's going to be mine. And I'm going to, you know, make a billion dollars instead of tens of millions of dollars. And that that goes on all the time. Look at the founders of uh, another one. Basically, the guys who founded Big ID, you know, sold at IBM, and then later on started up Tanium, started up Tanium, you know. Um, a endpoint patch configuration management solution, just like Big ID. So that happens a lot. Um, sometimes they'll pivot. They'll just, you know, especially Israeli founders, they'll, like the, the guys who founded Aorta, they, they sold very quickly to Microsoft. It was Active Directory Defense. And Microsoft acquired them for several hundred million dollars after only about 18 months. So those guys are wealthy, right? And now they're I'm finding them everywhere because they're all doing their own startups, um, and it's they—it's so easy for them to get funding, right? Because they have a track record, and it's so much easier than somebody doing it the first time. They—they're the ones who get the hundred million dollar funding rounds. So yeah, it's, it, uh, it's its a blast to you know, and it's great if you're in the industry for a long time because everybody tends to know each other. <laughs> Other than Boston, for some reason, <laughs> nobody knows anybody in Boston, and they only know each other, and they don't talk to the rest of the world. I don't get that.
1: <laughs> in- interesting. They know their cousin from Boston. Right, right. That's
2: right.
1: <laughs> uh, so many things, and not that we really had a script, but th- this wasn't in the topic set, but do you see successful founders who exited not just – Starting new ventures, but also uh, starting up funds or seeding seeding other ventures even even if it's not under their own control do you see yep. a lot of that happen
2: yeah absolutely um the most of the successful startup founders do become investors. I've noticed um, you know they you know they put most of their money into some managed retirement accounts or trusts or. Some of them family offices, um, you know, which is what super wealthy people do with their money. Um, But quite a few, uh, like there's a a group in Israel that's all founders and they all make investments um, together. Um, Shlomo Kramer, founder of Checkpoint, uh, invests in lots of startups and still creates his own startups. Um, I think Mario Snack does as well from Checkpoint. So that yeah, that goes on a lot. And you know, the the one question they ask is, do they ever just retire and hang up their hat? That happens too. Um, and it's it's disappointing when when they do do that because they they could offer so much more to the industry. But I guess they get burned out, and life is more important than doing another startup.
1: Yeah. It's hard, hard to argue if they, if they've been going at a, a significant clip for a really long time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: Right. Exactly. You and, know, they probably and, have and a super innovative is, uh, yeah be taxing on the brain, I would think too. Yep.
2: And their family probably is ready to spend some time with him or her. So, yeah. So where,
1: where you talk about bringing value to the, to the industry, uh, clearly investments help drive ideas some succeed some don't what beyond the money do they bring and you mentioned the channel maybe that's one i one area but what what else what else do they bring to the table
2: yeah um you know the most important thing is the money but um the if a previous founder invests in you then, of course, you get their network. The other investors see that. The even the customers will see that, right? If um, if it's a big name investor uh, with the previous experience, then all of that person's previous customers will pay attention. So it could be a door opener for your first enterprise customers. So super in and the connections you know that they have inside the rest of the investor community and yeah it really works and and i think it works better than the professional vc firms Hmm. who are just financial people who've been doing it for a long time and they they always claim they it's so valuable they they bring their rolodex and i don't see that very often um but yeah if you get a previous founder investor that's a really good thing.
1: Yeah, a relationship is different than a Rol- Rolodex. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right, Richard, let's let's get to the book. Because, I mean, we're we're already talking a bit history, and I presume... Oh, yeah, I've been giving you there. stories
2: from the book. Yeah. Right. They're all in there.
1: <laughs> so so give, give me, first, uh, the Security Yearbook 2021 version edition, if I'm not mistaken.
2: That's the one that's imprint and i'm in final edits of the galley proofs for uh, security Your Book 2022 which is coming out in may love it
1: love it yep, yep. so we'll, uh, for folks interested we'll, we'll include links to the book available and to your site richard so they can cool. think keep up to date for the new one give us the give us the structure of the book what uh, how how do yeah. how do you f- pe- envision people reading it
2: yeah it? so Uh, The structure of the book is uh, laid out in the layers of security defenses, um, which is how I also categorize the vendors. Um, So there's chapters on the history of network security, endpoint security, identity and access management, governance risk and compliance, um, managed security services. So all 16 of the categories that I follow. Um, and But it's you know, preface with a, you know, just a short history of the entire industry. And then we get into each of that. And then interlaced in each of those sections are stories uh, either written by or transcribed by me of, of uh, Pioneer's stories. So that's how I have David Collin at VeriSign and Shlomo Kramer, or um, Gil Schwed, founder of Checkpoint, uh, Barry Schrager, who uh, created ACF2, and by extension, Rack f um, So I, I want to collect all those stories, which is nice to change a voice inside a, a history book and get the real story from uh, some of the people that, that uh, really founded the industry. Uh, Amit Iran, uh, I interviewed because of his uh, early experience starting RipTech, which was a one of the first uh, MSSPs, which sold to Symantec. And of course, then he went on to become the cybersecurity czar for um one of the Bush administrations, I think. Um, and then he left and started NetWitness or took NetWitness uh commercial and and now he's CEO of Tenable. So he's got this great, great history of all the things he's done that I think a lot of people should know about. Now the important part of the structure, of course, is that's the first half of the book. Second half of the book is the directory of two th- now two thousand eight hundred and fifty cybersecurity vendors, also broken down into those categories. Which is uh, in- incredible that there's that many. <laughs> so
1: really let is. me ask this. Let me ask this first question before we get into the the categories. Um, looking. Oh boy, I don't even know where how to how to position this. But I guess what I'm trying to figure out is features versus products because a lot of innovations solve a particular problem um, on their own when you wrap it in. Is it an agent? How do you deploy it? How do you manage it? How do you monitor it? How do you get it, the reports out of it? How do you represent that part of it in the bigger program and, and part of your GRC? <laughs> I can keep going. I won't. Yep. Yep. But it starts a lot of them start as a feature. So I'm wondering how many of the two plus thousand would you say are feature-ish and are prime to either grow into a real product or should be acquired to really see uh, a long-term longevity in the, in the space?
2: Um, what a tough question. Um,
0: Sorry. so, so I, I,
2: you know, I definitely do, you know, go through that process in my head when when a new vendor briefs me, right? And I remember when, um, think, you know, yeah, FireEye went to market with a inline network sandbox, right? So ten copies of Windows running on a network box. And it was going to be inline, and I recognized right away that that was going to be a feature in so-called next-gen firewalls. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And then somebody else came to me with the bot communication detection. So it was basically, hey, if you if you're infected with a bot somewhere on the corporate network, we will tell you which machine is trying to communicate outwards. I said, feature, that's definitely going to be in any UTM. And sure enough, you know, within months it was. Um, so those companies don't succeed, right? The, the vendors don't have to buy them to add to their portfolio. Uh, but I would, you know, I'd say for the most part, they're a um, minority of those 2,850. The uh, There are still questions, for instance, I'm looking deeply at API security vendors. So they've got solutions to a new problem in that, you know, most traffic is API traffic, and most organizations have hundreds, if not thousands, of APIs, you know, between all their machines talking to each other. Um, and they're starting to recognize pretty early, I think, uh, that there's a security issue here. So there are now, accounted 20 standalone API security companies. Um, Neosec, Salt Security, No Name, Apiro. Um, it goes on and on. They, um, but there are also companies like Imperva and Vericode that also have API security. So, so they're treating it as maybe not a feature, but as a part of a suite of solutions. So, my big question I'm struggling with. And it's going to take me months to definitively say which way the space is going. That's my job. I'm supposed to do that um, because you know. It's like too early to tell,, <laughs> uh, but we'll see. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna pivot here now because it, okay
1: if it if it takes you this may be just be a tangent, but if it takes you all this brain power, which you're dedicated to to do, and it takes you months, I don't know how many, many multiple months to kind of formulate what's there, well, it's beginning years, I would think, to get to twenty two. The 2022 edition. So yeah, yeah, fifteen years. Fifteen, yeah, of course, yeah. Your yeah. your your career in this space, yeah. kind of collecting all that information, culminating it. I, I, I have to. I wonder how how do organizations? So just set the history aside for a moment. Yeah, that we, that we don't that right. we don't learn anything from the history. How, how do we right. make sense of the current state as an organization to figure out what do we need? where does it go and kind of the stuff I was alluding to in the beginning in the intro
2: yeah you know organizations um, it's funny because I'll I'll hear CISO's talk and pontificate on LinkedIn and they act as if they're industry analysts like they've got such good picture because they probably you know because vendors talk to them every single day all week long they think that they're that they've got a complete picture and yet I can't take 2,850 briefings every year. You know, I can only handle about 150. And I imagine there's some CISOs that get sales pitches that often. They're not briefings because uh, vendors open the kimono to an analyst, but not necessarily to a prospect. Um, so I, I think what happens is they know what they have now and you know, if they're good CISOs, they manage it well and uh, can see some holes. Uh, so they start from, you know, we've got a hole here, right? We don't have API security. we Or the most cumbers- problematic thing we have is our identity store. You know, we should get off LDAP and move to Active Directory or Okta or something. Um, and then, you know, then they'll look for solutions. Now, um, many smaller vendors hate the fact that they go to Gartner and say, who should we be looking at? and Gartner will give them a magic quadrant and they might limit their search just to the leaders in the magic quadrant, or they might recognize that the niche players might address their particular space, so they should talk to them as well. And I'm attempting to give them all the vendors, so they know all the choices, Um, and I give them a health metric that's not based on vendor-supplied data. I tell them how many employees each vendor has and how much that's changed over the last eight quarters. So you can track, you know, the vendor adaption. Um, and the one thing I don't have is the ability to tell them if, from a product's perspective, all the products each vendor has, because there's probably twenty thousand products and the hardest task in compiling all this data is first deciding what the vendor does. Because you would think you would just go to their website and it would say right there what they do. They don't. They There's so many vendors that refuse to say what they do on their website. Um, a lot of them do, you know, zero trust machine learning, artificial intelligence. That, that doesn't tell you anything at all about what they do. You know, because people shop for solutions. They don't shop for frameworks or strategies or buzzwords. Um, so I think, it, and then if you go down to uh, small to medium businesses, the reseller tells them what they need. So the reseller, you know, starts representing a new product line. They go into all of their existing customers and they tell them, "Hey, this would really help you,", you know, and pitch them and sell them successfully.
1: And do you do you see? I don't know if you've had conversations with. Uh... C-level or uh, leadership-level security practitioners, if you will, CISOs All and whatnot, time. that where yep. uh, they perhaps take your – I'm trying to figure out where – can a CISO take what you've done? And maybe maybe they are a small company, so maybe they, they don't want to go with the big behemoth. That's just too much. Um, they want to work with a vendor – a VAR, sorry – uh, to help them kind of shore up their their strategy and, and their implementations, do you see individuals and their companies taking what you've done and actually driving programs through the channel that uh, are successful?
2: Yeah, yeah, I do all the time. Um, there was a CISO at a big financial services firm who reached out to tell me that you know he would just gotten a copy of Security Your Book. 2020, and Semantic had been, you know, just, just blatantly just cutting off their products. Right the, after Semantic got acquired, the acquirer Broadcom wanted to rationalize the company, so they started getting rid of and stopped supporting a lot of their products, um, and they cut them off on their two-factor authentication solution. So he just cracked open the book, looked at all the two-factor authentication solutions and called a few and selected one. And that's, and they, you know, all in a day, right? That's just how they did it. So, and now it, it's hard to do that just knowing what the specialty of the vendor is. Um, but it, uh, to address that, I'm building a uh, app that people can subscribe to, uh, mm-hmm. website and they can, uh, basically put in their search criteria and get the lists of and contact information for the vendors that they need.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, just the, the directory in and of itself, is <laughs> probably, it's probably, yep. it's probably yep. a huge asset. Um, yep. I could talk to you for hours. I, I think, I think we will over a period of time. Um, I'd like to come, come to a close on this, maybe a little, a little tease from you. And then maybe in a month or so we can we can connect again as we get close to your yeah. uh, your release date on uh, the 2022 yeah. edition. Um, all about the categories for a moment. Any any new? And I'll just put this out. You can kind of answer it however you want. Any new categories? Areas where you see categories? Consolidating, or a category that's like super competitive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sure. To be aware of and any any of any of those work. For,
2: okay, for a I already mentioned the the API security. I have a strong feeling that's going to be a seventeenth category that I break out separately. Um, and then, the, you know, for years I've beaten up journalists in particular for leading off their articles on say semantic. Equ- acquiring somebody with the line in a sign of continuing consolidation in the cybersecurity industry. Uh, the industry is never consolidated. That's what happens, you know, to the, the disk drive manufacturers. They consolidate. That's what happens to hotel chains. That definitely is what happened to automotive companies here in Detroit um, 100 years ago. There used to be 104 of them, and they consolidated to, you know, four in the U.S., and, and now there's only two of them that are actually us companies. The, the, um, so the space doesn't consolidate this, it's just continues to spawn new vendors and grow, but last year, total employment in the endpoint security space shrunk for the first time, went down five or 6%. And that surprised me, um, you know, cause I've never seen that happen before and you start digging into it and go sure enough the industry is finally consolidating i always just say you know if semantic buys trend micro another antivirus vendor that's consolidation but now semantic would buy some firewall vendor or something right that was expansion um and there there have always been a hundred antivirus vendors and why didn't somebody consolidate them into one big antivirus vendor only makes sense but Uh, for various reasons. That never happened. And now it is happening. Seven of the rather large antivirus vendors have been acquired. Last year, uh, what's left of Symantec um, acquired Avast for $8 billion. A huge, huge acquisition. Um, Of course, Symantec is now called Norton LifeLock because what they actually do is sell you this stupid protection for your credit score. Um, And now you know that's consolidation. It is finally happening in endpoint. The other driver, of course, is uh, Windows Defender is good enough security on a modern machine, so you don't need to buy Symantec or V or a Trend Micro for your new PC. Um, and on top of that, um, you know CrowdStrike and Sentinel One and you know Cyber Reason are giving you better tools for your enterprise EDR solutions. So um, yeah, kind of interesting. Uh, that's going on now here's a category that i fully expected to start in 2021 and there's no sign whatsoever of it developing and that is what do you do about the solar winds breaches so solar winds super sophisticated attack from a nation-state actor and they modified the code to put simple simple backdoors in it just few lines of code uh, and then it got packaged, compiled, package digitally signed, and sent to their customers, who, of course, know that the best security practice is to update your code as soon as somebody sends you a patch. Faster you do it, the better. Um, and that code introduced the back door to 18,000 SolarWinds customers. And there are tons of solutions that people want to sell to SolarWinds. Hey, you should do a better job of protecting your dev environment and your Git repository. And, you know, a lot of that, right? But that doesn't do anything for the poor enterprise consumer of all these software packages, right? They have hundreds or thousands that they're installing uh, patches for all the time. How do you check to make sure that a new patch that just came in, uh, doesn't introduce a backdoor? And you know, my answer is, oh, well, don't install the patch, right? That then you will never get hit by some, a malicious update, but you have to install the patches because they've got feature improvements and they've got, uh, fixes for security vulnerabilities. So how about we don't install it for nine months? Um, well, that wouldn't have stopped solar winds because it took nine months for the deployment to happen and for them to kick off exploiting their back doors. Um, Okay, what if we put it in a sandbox, same thing? Well, you know, the, the bad actors know how to avoid sandbox environments by just not triggering until they know they're out of the sandbox. So that's difficult. And the only thing I've come up with other than those things is we're gonna reverse engineer the code and we're gonna look for You know, things that are obvious backdoors, which maybe is doable. I don't know. You'd have to automate it, machine learning and all that stuff. Um, But every contract you ever sign for software says you will never reverse engineer the code that they send you, right? That's kind of intellectual property theft. So I fully expected you know, bunch of companies says brief me this year. Not a single one has. I, I won't be surprised to find out that ten did start doing that, and they're still in self mode. And I'll hear about them in twenty twenty two.
1: Interesting, interesting.
2: Well, Richard, I, I I you mentioned
1: Microsoft Defender, and I have a whole series of thoughts and questions on that. So maybe I'm looking just the <laughs> the, the the system providers the cloud providers and and yeah. their role in all this but we'll, we'll, we'll save that for the next one we'll we'll tease everybody for our next conversation that all right uh, we'll, so, we'll dig into that and sounds great we didn't even we didn't even get into ai and ml and how this some of the stuff some of the buzzwords like zero trust we have a lot more to talk about um absolutely we're gonna hold we're gonna hold that for the next one um and uh, we'll do that closer to the release of 2022 any final thoughts richard on uh Maybe maybe some advice to CISOs on uh, h- how to how to make some good choices.
2: Um, I mean, really, do pay attention to those industry analysts that are trying to make sense of the industry. You know, so filter that out. If you're not a Gartner client, there's plenty of independent analysts, um, and of course, most CISOs talk to their peers. Um, in, in a, do a little bit of you know, yeah, I know what I want and I'm an expert, but acknowledge that there, there are different perspectives that that could help you tackle some of the problems you have, right? It's, you know, if you talk to me and if you, if you come and talk to me about establishing risk management, um, you know, framework for your business, I'll tell you, don't do it. A waste of time, a waste of money, and you won't be any more secure. So stop talking that way. Um, and maybe that's valuable to hear sometimes. If you're a risk management lover, then maybe I can talk to It's
1: hard for me to hear. Uh, I don't know if I want to have that conversation with you, but maybe we need to.
2: <laughs> See, yeah, you know, you at least listen, you know, and go, okay, hey. I get it. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, you, you've got me thinking there on that one now. um well, it, it's always a pleasure, and I uh, I want to go back to being, I remember you, the, the, the long line at RSA Conference uh, on that second level, just people lining up to, to get your book, it was great to see that, great to see you then, hopefully we'll be able to Likewise. do this. Uh, we, we have uh, the conference coming up in June. I hope so, uh,
2: I've got a uh, room reserved, going. so we'll see. Look at
1: that. Yeah. So hopefully we'll get to see you there, and uh, many of certainly many of the vendors you list Absolutely. and hopefully a number of the CISOs as well that, uh, that we're speaking to today. So, Richard, thanks so much for uh, putting the book together, sharing it with uh, the world, uh, having a brief chat with me, many more, I, I can see. So, Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. Until then, keep well, my friend.
0: Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at hightrustalliance.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash itspmag24.